This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show no deference to show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus outskates his questioners, beats them at their own game. That could be a good title for this Gospel reading. The Pharisees and their disciples, along with the Herodians, try to trap Jesus with the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Now, it's a clever trap because the Pharisees hated and opposed the tax, but the Herodians favored it because the vassal King Herod depended on Roman money. So, if Jesus said no he could be considered to be fomenting tax resistance and run afoul of Rome. On the other hand, since Roman emperors during that time understood themselves to be ruling by divine authority, simply saying yes might might put him in trouble with the religious authorities who would think that he was committing idolatry a violation of the commandment to have no other gods than Yahweh. So he was caught between them. And that was a theological trap, a matter of faith. Well, answering as Jesus did, focusing on the coin that is Caesar's property, rather than Caesar's authority, he took the theological significance of paying taxes off the table. Then, commanding that they should give to God what belongs to God, he kept faithfulness with God as their only ruler because they had to agree that all things belong to God. Very clever, very sharp, very smooth. In the history of interpreting this text, however, It has often been understood as exhorting Christians to obey the laws of the land and pay their taxes. And, of course, St. Paul taught in Romans 13 that 
Christians should pay tax and support the government or respect the government because it's God's order to curb evil and promote good. And certainly one could hardly argue with this viewpoint. Indeed, Lutheran theology has always had a healthy respect for government as established by God for our good. Placing this interpretation on Jesus' answer means simply that Christians can be both good citizens obeying the law and good Christians at the same time. It's not incompatible. This is okay as far as it goes. However, historically this interpretation has led to a rather unhelpful view of the separation of church and state. It has tended to relegate the activities of the church totally to a so-called spiritual realm and leaving all the affairs of the world to secular authorities. Thus, churches have often been quiet about matters of injustice or discrimination or peacemaking. Yet, even if churches do avoid this dangerous division of the world into sacred and secular, the fact is that here this statement of Jesus is in any case not a political proposition. To take it as such is to miss the much deeper message it has for us. The message is a theological one, not a political one. The text recounts that Jesus, shown the coin, said, whose head is this? Now, the Greek word translated here as head is icon. I don't think it's a very good translation to say head, because icon means image. And the New Testament uses it whenever it speaks about the image of God, referring us back to Genesis 1 and our creation in the divine image. There it reads, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created humankind in his image, and in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. As, uh, so that's Genesis 1. And the, the great theologian of the second century, Tertullian, said concerning this text, Caesar's image is on the coin, God's image is on humanity. The coin belongs to Caesar, but all people created in God's image belong to God, even Caesar. Well, so we can find our way further into what Jesus' response means for us by looking at what it means to be created in the image of God. First of all, it means that we are, as one theologian put it, on speaking terms with God. We go to God in prayer. We bring our needs to God in prayer, and the prayer Jesus taught us, our Lord's Prayer, uses the word for Father that is the form of intimate address, something like Dad. So intimate is our speaking terms with God. And so unlike the rest of creation, human beings have an intimate personal relationship with God. And as persons, we have both freedom and responsibility. Therefore, we are created as able to be God's representatives in the care of creation. 
Well, a second thing that the image means is that we are dependent beings, dependent on the life-giving power of God for our very existence. We are image of God, not God. The story of the fall is all about Adam and Eve attempting to step outside that relationship, that dependent relationship. The snake beguiles them with the promise that if they eat the forbidden fruit, they will be like God. And this is what sin is all about. The failure of trust in God and the preference for being one's own God. Our very existence is rooted in our dependent relationship with our loving, life-giving God. The deep tragedy of sin is that it is a denial of our own life. It is to be at odds with who we are as God's image. It recalls a much-quoted statement from the old Pogo cartoon that a few of you will remember. We have met the enemy, and he is us. The saving grace that is ours in Christ is God's reconciling work that brings us back to ourselves by the forgiveness of sin. To give to God what belongs to God is to entrust entrust ourselves to God's mercy and strength by grace and to live out the obligations and the joys, the joys of being one with God in Christ. That's what belongs to God, that trust. Redeemed by God's love, the image of God is not just the story of our beginning in God's creation, it is also the promise of our perfection in the resurrection. It is then that we are perfected in the image and our relationship with God is fulfilled. Meanwhile, while we, are, we still struggle with sin, God is working on us. God is not done with us. And this is certainly good news, at least it is for me. I'd hate to think this is as good as I'm ever going to be. By the power of the Spirit, St. Paul tells us, we are being transformed according to his image. The Christian community, the community not just individuals, is being shaped in the image of God as revealed in Christ. Therefore, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. Being shaped in the image of God, and in Genesis, the image is that of a potter shaping the clay on her wheel as human beings are formed by God and given life. Being formed in the likeness of the God Christ revealed is being formed in the Holy Trinity. The image of God in which all humanity is created is the Trinity. And the story of our being in the image of God is the story of God's work as Trinity. God our Father has created us in the divine image. God the Son has redeemed us for our ultimate perfection. And God the Spirit is transforming us according to the image as we journey to the future. What belongs to God as Trinity? All things. God has created all things and in Christ redeemed all things, who with the Spirit has made all things holy. With God, there is really no sacred and secular. 
So what then does it mean to give God the things that are God's? In the creation narrative, God gives to humans the charge to have dominion over all that is. Sadly, that has often meant uh, or been taken to be licensed to exploit the resources of the earth without restraint and has had very adverse effects on the health of the planet. One meaning of the Hebrew word for image in Genesis is a statue. The ancient kings made statues, images of themselves, and placed them in their conquered territories to remind people who was in charge. Well, in like manner, we as image of God have been made representatives of God's dominion in the creation. And God's dominion is one of love for all creation. We also know that the Son's redeeming work is not just for human beings. Colossians 1 tells us that in Christ, God has reconciled to himself all things, all things in heaven and on earth. And what belongs to God then, in whose image we bear? Our commitment to the care of the earth and all that is in it. That belongs to God. Our Lutheran Church social statement on the creation invokes the Trinity. Christian concern for the environment is shaped by the word of God. In creation, the love of God hanging on the cross, the breath, the spirit of God daily renewing the face of the earth. Well, we speak of the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we also know that, we, that they are one. Three persons of the Trinity dwell so intimately with one another, within one another, that they are one in that bond of love that is at the essence of the divine life. The very being of the Trinity is love itself. God is not merely loving. God is love. The community of love that is the Trinity then becomes a pattern for the life of the church. As the Trinity is community in the diversity of the three in one, so we embrace in our fellowship all people of all kinds. So Lord of Life's commitment ex- accepting none, excluding or accepting none, accepting all, accepting none, you got it, you know it. <laughs> It's a wonderful way to say it. All right, as a young pastor, I was educated at the beginning of very well educated, but quite ignorant. I served my first call in an African-American congregation in the South. I was a stranger there. I was the other. But they accepted me and they nurtured me. In my work in Tanzania, I was a stranger but they accepted me and worked with me. So we can add to accepting all the words all accepting all, the pattern for the life of our diverse and global church. We have sisters and brothers everywhere on the planet, 
and every cultural description here at home. They are accepting us as we are accepting them. All accepting all. The accepting love of the entire Christian community on earth, enabled by the Spirit, flowing from the divine life of love, that belongs to God, our God whose image is upon us. All are created in the divine image, even Caesar, we have said. God will not let God's creation go for naught. Nothing will stand in the way of God's drive to bring it to perfection. This is the clear message of God's redeeming work in Jesus the Christ. Christ died for all, and we who are graced in the knowledge of that gospel message have a calling, first of all, to share these, this good news with all people that they might enter the joy of, of knowing they belong to God. And belonging to God is liberating. One is freed from bondage to self-sufficiency and self-protection. Free then and able to love and care for others, knowing that you yourself have God's love and care. A great preacher once said that one should preach as one sinner to another sinner and as one dying to another who is dying. This is the pattern that should guide all our outreach. In approaching those outside the faith, there's no room for attitudes of superiority. We have the privilege of sharing the gospel, not of judging others. Secondly, though we do not judge the faith of others, we do have a call to represent God's justice. Faith active in love, seeking justice, describes our discipleship in the world. The seeking part is complicated because the world is complicated, so Christians will have different views as to how justice is best served. However, Knowing that the image of God belongs to all and all belong to God, we know for sure that justice begins and ends with affirming in word and deed the equal dignity of all people. Imperfect though the systems of this world are, the task for Christian citizens is constantly to test whether those systems are serving equality under the law in order that all may flourish. In his encounter with the representatives of the Pharisees and a contingent of Herodians, Jesus did not offer a political formula. Rather, he pointed us to the truth that all belong to God, you and me and everyone. Knowing that truth guides us in all we do, knowing that God is with us all along the way. And I think that's a super good truth. Amen.